When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey. Hey. What'd you think? About what? Did, did you get my text? Oh. Hi, I'm Pat Oswalt. I'm Meredith Salinger. Welcome to the 50th episode. episode of Did You Get My Text? And you know what? For our 50th episode, I say, you know who I want on the show because I'm such a film nerd? You say, you say, you know who you want on the show? I want a great say, director. Say, oh, yes. <laughs> I want a great director. So I called Martin Scorsese, and he gave me <laughs> Ben Stiller's info. And that is our guest today. Ben Mr. Stiller! Ben yeah! Stiller, thank you so much, so much for being yeah. on the show. Scorsese and I are, you know, we're tight. <laughs> really, really He's tight. He's got your info. Yeah. yeah. He's got yeah. your info to get. Got you on speed dial. We hang a lot. We watch movies and we break them down. Does, Mar- Does Marty like to watch movies? I've never gotten that <laughs> indication from him. He likes movies. That's it's a bit of a fan. Bit of a yeah. fan. Um, ben hi. 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 Welcome. Welcome. Uh, I'm so happy to be with you guys. We're so So happy you're here all the way from New York City. He is in Manhattan in the middle of May. Is the weather nice? It's got to be gorgeous right now, right? It's so great today. It's so amazing. So it's been winter for about 12 months here. Uh, Yeah. And it it just, just literally like a week ago, Finally, somebody realized it's spring because mm-hmm. and the trees have it was I, I know I go through this every year. having been from New York and also having lived here for the last 12 or 13 years mm-hmm. It that period when the leaves come back. You you really get to a point where you just start to wonder, are they actually going to come back this year? Is right. it going to happen? <laughs> yeah. And this year it took longer. It took like two or three weeks longer, I'm, I'm sure, than last year. And it was it was weird. Yeah, we were just in New York. Um, what was it, two weeks ago or three mm-hmm. weeks ago? And have you been in um, the meatpacking district or the West Village, wherever it is, to the little yeah, island? Yeah, I love that area. The little island, that new thing that Bloomberg built, those, like, have you been there? Um, with all the, like, like the, the Botero sculptures Yeah, they're, like, stuff? in the ocean, they're, like, in the river, or is that a river? It's like the new High Line. Oh, that, oh, that thing, oh, that crazy new park. Yeah, yes. it's so amazing, I just went there. And it's beautiful and incredible and a feat of architecture. And you should go because it's cool. There's an Yeah, I, I drive by it all the time. I love it. Yeah, it's like it's like a weird sort of like uh, a cantilevered sort of yeah, uh, pod like, yeah. type of thing. There's like separate little concrete pods, but they like made it beautiful and turned it into a park. They reclaimed something ruined and abandoned like the High Line and made it actually genuinely cool. You wouldn't believe it. It's, it's as nice as it is. And it's really nice. Yeah. yeah, that area is really great. I love yeah. that. It's one of my favorite neighborhoods in New York. So let's name your other 20 favorite neighborhoods, <laughs> starting with number um, – Ben, I, here's what we're going to do because you're – That's my podcast. I have my own podcast, Ben's 20 Favorite <laughs> ben's Neighborhoods. 20 Favorite Neighborhoods for each city. And he's, he, has, he has for it's each city. It's a different city. episode for each yeah. neighborhood and city. Yeah. Um, 
my God, uh, writer, director, actor, um, uh, producer. I mean, they're, they're, your your career, and you're still young at it, is so far ranging. Um, so what I've decided to do here's how here's my interview technique. I'm gonna we're gonna start off with Severance, but I'm gonna use that to connect to a lot of the how a lot of your early career led to the stuff that you're doing with Escape of Danamora and Severance oh as a God. director because uh, my God Escape in of Danamora, I just have to stop. There's one scene <laughs> yes. in Escape from Danamora where I literally was like, this is the best directed scene we I've rewound ever it. seen in my life. Really? The, oh. The, oh, my God. The scene where Benicio Del Toro and, is he with Paul? Uh, the, they they're just, they're just walking. Out. They're just walking. And it's, uh. it's a long shot, and it's on them, and you see and you just stay on them while they're walking. It's a lo- it's and Benicio del Toro. You can see every single emotion, and it's the it's like the best. Well, movie. that's not that's just well acted. It's a yes. well acted scene. It's a very well, well acted uh, scene, but it's a yeah. very well directed. It's, it's scene. two things. It is yes, it is brilliantly acted. You you can see every decision that Benicio's character is making mm-hmm. as he's walking around that suburban neighborhood. But the fact that you mm-hmm. had the confidence to lay back and say, let's let this happen and just observe it going on. The fact that the 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 direction becomes so non-flashy is what pulls you in because there's nothing else to look at but Benicio. I remember that we we rewound that scene to watch it again. To go, did we just see what we saw? You can literally figure out every single thing he's doing, and it's because you said I'm cool enough to lay back and just let this happen. It was brilliant. My well, I, I think that well, thank you. But I think you know what that was about is just sort of the letting staying out of the way of the actors a lot of the time. Yes. Which I think as a director you should, but, you know, if you have really great actors. Except there's a lot of directors that don't know how to do that. They can't. Well, that help does themselves. happen. Yeah. yeah. That does happen. And as an actor myself, you know, I've had that experience with directors where you sometimes, and I, and I think actors are very sensitive to that too. Mm-hmm. When you're even when working with like someone Benicia, where we knew each other over the years, but never worked together that, you know, there's that period where you're just like trying to sense what, what, what is the director going to be like? Are they going to let me do my thing? Are they mm-hmm. going to give me encouragement? Are they going to be weird? You know, it's all, you just don't know what that relationship is <laughs> yep. going to be. So, you know, and as actors, we're all very vulnerable. So, you know, I'm I feel sensitive to that when I'm directing because I know what that feels like as an actor. See, that's got to be such an advantage that you have. You know, the moments because you can remember if he had just if he or she had just left me alone for the scene, it would have been even better. And you can remember that and bring that to these moments of let's just let this happen and see where it goes. Yeah. And, and actually, you know, that scene and a couple of other scenes, it was actually the uh, cinematographer I worked with, Jessica Lee Gagne, who I worked with on Dan Moore and also Severance. Yep. You know, she once said to me and we we met on Dan Amora, we, we met and decided to do that project. Together. So I hadn't worked with her before. And one day we were shooting a scene and I yelled cut and she came over to me. And she said, you know, you you yell cut too early. <laughs> I was like what? She's like, well, just why, why don't you let it go a little longer? And I was like, wow, that's interesting. Um, and that that scene in particular, where Benicio and Paul are walking, that was, you know, that wasn't it, that was a specific choice that we made. But there really is something interesting if you kind of don't yell cut immediately and just let some stuff happen because you yeah. never know. You know, sometimes yeah. something great happens. Sometimes you know, an actor says, "What? Why are you still rolling?" You know, whatever it is. But it's just it kind of allows for space for you know something to occur. Now you were making film. You had a just like me. You had a Super Eight camera, and you were you were you were growing up in Manhattan, right? When you were started shooting stuff, 
Yeah. yeah. I was growing up on the Upper West Side and my parents, you know, were actors, Jerry Stiller and Ann Mir, yeah. and they were doing their comedy act and we were in the heart of their world of, of show business and but New York, you know, New York show business in the 70s. Oh man. Which was kind of, oh, you know. Oh my god. <laughs> It was a little, you know, it was like more tactile and little, it wasn't the glossy Hollywood thing. We loved going out to LA as kids. I loved it to be able to go out when they would do something in LA, but in New York, it was, uh, yeah, you know, Upper West Side, it was, um, I, my dad got me a Super 8 camera mm. and he was always shooting Super 8 footage. He was shooting home movies all the time wow. of us. Yeah. So you had, so you had the background of 70s um, showbiz, but also you had 70s New York, which visually is never going to be recreated. Those we, I think I was tweeting about that movie, um, The Seven Ups, and you said, "Oh, you like tweeted to me that because the the background that they had that is never coming back. The way New York looked in those years is gone. oh my god, it's just that, crazy. and the way that people would, yeah, it's just so. I mean, it was I guess a period where the city kind of went into a little bit of a decay, you know, mm -hmm. and, and things sort of, you know. We're not doing the best economically. Uh, and it was, of course, before all of this uh, urban renewal, whatever it is, building, just building, building, building that's happened, especially in the last 20 years. And I'm watching it happen in the Upper West Side now, yeah. too. But but those, for me, just those streets and the way they would shoot sequences back then in action movies was so, uh, it was, you know, they didn't always... Uh, cordon off the streets no you know, a lot of times right so they're doing like a car chase yeah and you see people in the background going like looking like what the hell just what's going on yeah you know <laughs> they just would do it oh um you know and and so yeah to watch that sequence particularly in that that's like a weird lost movie of the 70s the seven hours yeah but but it was it's weird how that kind of uh that that kind of filmmaking philosophy sort of infused itself into you because you were acting and directing kind of parallel with each other all along. I mean, what, you know, what, was it always, was it, was it directing first or acting first or were they just always in parallel? Uh, how did that, how did that kind of work for, for you? Yeah, they were always kind of like competing inside of me, honestly, like as a kid, I loved directing. I loved the idea of being a director and being a cinematographer. And I was very much about, um, sort of like making of movies, you know, like if there was like the Jaws log, but you know, with oh, Carl Gottlieb wrote about the making of Jaws. Book. Oh my God. Oh, that no. just, just the idea that him, he had to wake up every morning and Spielberg's like, I need you to write like 10 new pages for what? For, oh. for today. Oh, for man. you need to rewrite the scenes for today. <laughs> we're, we're going out in an hour, write this stuff right now. That, that yeah, amazing. that movie is just like for me. It's sort of like the holy grail. It's just like everything kind of comes out of that movie, and you know, and just to study how that movie was made, and uh, and and yeah, the, uh, you know, because he because Spielberg, especially on that film, was such like he was creating almost a new genre, you know. Yeah, and um, and that that is a lot of direct, you know, to read about that kind of stuff. Like, oh, that can happen. Like they can come up with something new, you know, because yeah. I think directing is so much about. Uh, adjusting in the moment and thinking about what's going on, he, looking at what's going on and seeing how it differs from what's on the page and what you need it to be, or, you know, yeah. all that is just adjustments that are happening in real time. And so, so when you see that that's how somebody did that in a movie that you love, you go, Oh, okay. I guess that's, you know, that's how you do it. That's what you, or you can do that. And now was it a big deal for you that your, your film debut is a Spielberg film? What? Yeah, what? Um, it was, uh, I mean. Empire of the Sun. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. 
So you got yeah, to work with Yeah, I had Spielberg. a small part. Yeah. I had a small part, but um, it was very exciting because I had, I had a small part in a play that moved to Broadway. And then I got a part in this other movie with my dad, actually called Hot Pursuit with John Cusack. Where oh. This, which is, I hesitate to mention it because now people, <laughs> <laughs> but it's pretty, it's pretty funny because uh, my dad I, and I are playing drug runners. I wonder what it's like to make your film debut with John Cusack. I wonder what that's like. It's <laughs> like Meredith. What, what oh, is weird. Is that... the journey of Natty Gay. Right. Oh my <laughs> yes, God. That was yeah. That wasn't so my. So we film. kind of share that. We together, kind of do. Then. My first movie though was was uh, Annie. Not, was Annie with John Huston. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. John yeah. Huston, John Cusack. You know yeah. all the good Johns. But how many days did you get to be on Empire of the Sun and watch Spielberg at work? Did you try to? do a version of shadowing him, even though you were young and it was a small part? Like, what did you get to Oh, yeah, that? yeah, yeah. I, um, I, well, first of all, he hired me having seen this play and he didn't ask me to audition. Nice. Which blew my mind. Oh my that was God. incredible. Yeah, I had a meeting with him and he said, yeah, I think you'd be right for this part. And and then I went away and my agent said, yeah, they want you to play this part. Wait, how old are you he, at this time? Are you? I was, it was, I was probably 21. Good Lord. And we got to play prisoners of war in this uh, this Japanese prison camp. And uh, John Malkovich was sort of the ringleader of our group. And there's a couple of other actors, uh, an actor named David Nydorf. Um, and and we were all there for a couple of months in Spain. They built um, oh they God. built a prison camp outside of Seville. And it was incredible. Every day we come to work and, and he didn't know what he was going to shoot specifically involving us. So we would kind of hang out and just be ready to go, you know? And we also had to get skinny because we were, you know, in the prison camp, yep. which sort of like we all show, I showed up really skinny um, to the point where he said, are you okay? Because he <laughs> asked me if I could lose some weight. I was like, you, you, said you told skinny. me to lose weight. You, you told me to. Spielberg said. had to lose weight. Yeah, um, yeah you stopped eating. Then, <laughs> But then we were all hanging out, and there was like a great craft service buffet. Oh that, god! So every so by the end of the shoot, we all kind of had gotten back to our normal way. Um, but it was so much fun because you know it was also pre CGI, really. Mm -hmm. So it was you know he was doing this Mustang raid of these American you know P fifty ones coming in, and they were real planes, yeah. mixed mixed with also model airplanes too. I mean, there wow. was uh, there were cutouts of airplanes on the runway in the in the deep background, you know, two-dimensional oh, cutouts man. to make it look like there were more. I mean, it was old school movie making still. And um and yeah, we it was every day was was so much fun. And and he was so generous too. He would, you know, I had made a short film that I had gotten on Saturday Night Live that uh, there's a takeoff on the color of money. I was that and, was gonna be my next question. That was before Empire of the Sun. I had made it, I'd made it around that time. I'm not sure if I'd actually, I think I'd gotten it. I, I don't think I'd gotten it on SNL at that point. I might have already, I, it was 86, 87. And he, I, I gave it to him, he watched it and he, you know, gave me yeah. feedback. So, you know, he was, it was great. He was very, very generous. That movie, The Hustler of Money, it's called The Hustler of Money. And it was, again, with that guerrilla style filmmaking, you're doing House of Blue Leaves with John Mahoney and the great John Mahoney. Yeah, and you basically said, wait a minute, I have this cast, I've got this idea, let's just scrap together and get this film made because I just want to make a movie. And as funny as a film as it is, um, it was that it was a really early indication for how you tend to focus and obsess on things and get every little detail of the thing that you're parroting right. 
and you really nailed the idea of the movie that's openly going for an Oscar. Like, just give <laughs> us an Oscar. We deserve it. And um, it's a it's a shadow critique of sometimes a great actor and director and writer come together and it maybe doesn't work. And it, it was such a ballsy thing to do at that time. You would, you're just making your debut and you're like, Scorsese, you know, sometimes he doesn't nail it. Like, whoa, my God, this is, it was, it's an amazing piece of filmmaking. Well, it was just an idea. And I, and I made it with uh, two friends, Ralph Howard and Steve Clayman. And we were like, Ralph and I were writing stuff at that time. And, mm-hmm. Um, and we were like, yeah, this could be a funny take. I don't think we, you know, we were like, this could be a funny parody, you know, like what yeah. if it was about bowling instead of pool. And, it, <laughs> and, um, you know, it was more like a home movie where I got everybody in my family to be in it. My grandfather's in it. My girlfriend was in it. You know, wow. everybody was in it. And, um, but I wouldn't have made that little, sh- and that was, and I did, and I did it with my own money. We ended up selling it to Saturday Night Live and mm-hmm. they put it on the air, which was just like, it blew my mind at that time. And, uh, but I wouldn't have made that little short if I hadn't have done this other thing with John Mahoney when we were doing the House of Blue Leaves, which was a play by John Guare that was running it off Broadway and then it moved to Broadway and ended up winning um, Tonys. And John John was incredible. Yeah, and, as it, always. and Swoozie Kurtz and and Julie Haggerty and Chris Walken was oh, in that wow. production too. What? It in, yeah, it was. Yeah, he was in the original production at oh, uh, Lincoln Center. God. And um, but John John was just he was such a good person and such a friend to me when I was starting out. And he was so funny. He was such a great actor. He had this really ridiculous sense of humor where he just would make fun of himself all the time. Mm -hmm. I had this idea. He got nominated and won a Tony. He was, you know, he was the star of the show. And I, I had this idea to do a documentary about him backstage (laughs) called John Mahoney, a portrait of the artist as an old man. (laughs) And, um, and like the idea was like he was this horrible alcoholic and was mean to everybody backstage. But then on stage, you know, everybody loved him and he was winning awards. And so I did it with a video camera backstage and I edited it at home on two VHS machines. Oh, and primitive. It, yeah, it was that that thing where you're recording off of one. <laughs> and and then I showed it at a party. It was like a New Year's party that I think my parents had and everybody was there and it got laughs and people like loved it. And it was that moment, and I'd already been doing this since I was a kid, but like that moment was, oh, wow, this is really fun to make something that people laugh at and they get it. And that sort of, and it was because John had just said, yeah, I'll be the star of your thing. And we, like, literally, like we filmed him with like a wino bag and bottle asleep under the poster of his Tony Award winning performance, you know, on, on like 52nd Street and Broadway. You know, he would do anything. He just was, he was so great. So uh, that was really what led to that. And then John was, you know, obviously was in that short too. Yeah. And, um, he was a, just, I, I miss him so much because he was such an amazing person. Yeah. Oh, wait, there's so many things to talk about yes. and how you started and everything. Let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Yeah. Hey, we're back, and when we last left uh, young Ben, uh, he had just <laughs> made um, The Hustler of Money, uh, which, yeah, m- amazingly, Lorne Michaels, how did it get into Lorne Michaels' hands? John Lovitz gave it to him. Oh, my God, John Lovitz. Wow. Oh. And I wasn't even friends with John Lovitz, but he had come to see The House of Blue Leaves, mm-hmm. and I reached out to him because, you know, I guess at that time, I was, like, wanting to figure out how I could 
get my stuff going. And I, I like, I, when I think back now, it's like, I, I kind of called, I called up this guy. I didn't really know John Lovitz, who was, yeah. a, you know, very established uh, actor and funny guy. He was famously and, the breakout star of his first season of SNL. Like he was the guy yeah. they kept. Yeah. And yeah. he, and a lot of people came backstage to see this play house of the leaves. Wow. Cause it, it was like a celebrated production. I had a little part in it, uh-huh. but so every night there'd be a different, you know, um, celebrity would come back and, and he came and I asked him, I said, Hey, I got this short. Would you think you could get it into SNL? And he literally met me in the lobby of 30 rock. And I gave him this VHS or like a three quarter inch copy of it. And he brought it up and he said, all right, you know, they'll call you or whatever. And then like a day later, I got a call. They were going to put it. I was like on a Friday. They said they're going to put it on that Saturday. Good And God. then did you start working? And then did you do stuff, more stuff well, for them he, after he that? He did a season of SNL. Oh, right. Well, okay. I, 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 did a sh- I did six weeks. I did a very oh, short period of time. Oh, okay. But I, I first, what they did was they invited me to like to audition mm-hmm. and to give them a writing sample. And so um, I, d- I made an audition tape where I did some characters and... And um, yeah, and then gave them some writing and then they hired me as an apprentice writer wow. and featured player, yeah. which was exciting. But, you know, it was also very daunting because I, I really, you know, wasn't that comfortable as a like a, as a live sketch performer. I didn't have a lot of experience doing that. Did you go to direct? Did you go to college? Did you go to directing school? Did you how did you become how do you know how to be or you were just doing it on your own and it was just happening? So you just learned want, as yeah. you go? I wanted to go to directing school. I wanted to go to USC film school. Oh, yeah. and I could not, I did not get in because I oh didn't have the grades or the whatever <laughs> it took to get in. And then I went to UCLA, but at the time UCLA's film school didn't start till the junior year. Oh. So I started as an acting major and that goes back to the acting directing thing. I was kind of like, sort of like going between both and not really knowing. Both directions, man. Yeah. And which could, you know, sometimes it was great. And then because I create my own stuff when I wasn't getting hired, but uh, eventually, you know, it's, it's just an interesting thing. I've always still to this day, kind of, you know, think about and and try to balance and figure out, but um, yeah. So then I quit UCLA really quickly after about nine months, I went back to New York and just started taking acting classes. So it was really, I started pursuing the acting thing more. Uh, and then it sort of led to, oh, not getting work at all. So then making my own stuff. <laughs> wow. <laughs> a lot of auditions and not getting stuff and bad auditions. But too, then the directing, bad, being bad at auditions. The directing, you just figured it out on your own. All the, did you read about it? Did you? It was, it was, yeah, it was like reading books like the Jaws Log or, yeah. or you know, get, uh, um, a subscription to American Cinematographer or, you know, just watching movies and then being on sets. I think as actors, we get yeah. to work with directors. Yeah. And, you know, that's the one thing directors don't really get to do is to see other directors work. So, you know, for us as actors, we get to experience what we feel works for us. And, and you know, you can ask questions and you can watch, you know, I got to go watch my mom on the set of Fame. So wow. I got to see, God, I you know, love that movie so much. You got, to, you got to meet Alan Parker and see how he made movies. Yeah. That, yeah. 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 Cause that guy is, is so underrated in terms of, I think he famously said, I want to make one film in every genre. Like I want to do a horror movie, angel heart. I want to do a musical. Like he wanted to try to conquer each genre. That's, it was his approach to directing. Yeah, Which he was, was I think he was a great director. He just passed away recently. I, I he was know. an amazing director. Um, you know, there, Fame is a really great movie. It's uh, one know, of my favorites. Did, 
Yeah, he did, and he did a lot of different genres, but there was like, a, a, you know, there's something about his kind of filmmaking that I think relates to, um, you know, not, even though he did different genres, there was a consistency. I mean, he did Bugsy Malone too, right? Also another favorite. <laughs> yep. oh, love yeah, love that movie. Amazing. Um, you know, there, there, but there's a consistency to the to the reality level in these movies. Oh. And, and they, they, right, and, and, and visually they, 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 they're beautiful and and visceral and real. And I don't know, there's a, a certain thing that was like about the filmmaking that he came out of later 70s into the 80s, yes. and, but early 70s filmmaking, which was like, we don't care what the genre is. Okay, it's a comedy, it's an action thing, whatever, but it's going to have a reality to it that, you know, it, that is consistent. And so anyway, yeah, I got to watch him do that on the set. And, you know, it was by osmosis, I think, a lot of it. They're just, you know, loving being around it. You just did a more modern version of what all the 70s movie brats did, which is, where'd you go to film school? I just watched a lot of movies until I picked it up. Right. And also, right. Right. Scorsese, I think, went to NYU, but was lucky enough to have a professor that said, well, you know, the studio system's collapsing. If you don't show up with your own script, you're not going to direct today. No one's going to assign you movies anymore. That Those years are over. Show up with something. And so you you clearly kind of took that um, ethos with you as well, you know. Yeah, I don't think that's changed. I mean, yeah. I think you have to you have to know what you want to do, and you have to have your own. If you can't, you know, if you can't write on your own, you have to work with somebody mm-hmm. and, and and figure it out. Because to me, writing has always been about getting to the the film. You know, like writing right. something that is just just and and it's collaborating with writers. Um, uh, though there is something special, actually talking to Chris Rock about this, mm-hmm. like uh, the idea of writing by yourself, just things that will come out, even if it's not your where you feel your strength, there's just something that will come out that is much more personal. Oh, uh, wow. And, you know, but I, I also I love collaborating. Yes. Uh, because I want to work with a writer who's better than I am, who can, um, you know, imagine something in a way that, uh, you know, that I can I can see it maybe in my head, but I don't know how to get there on the page. And that that process, I love. I, I love that. Yeah, you you do take big, you do take risk, and you do big changes. I was at very early table reads for Tropic Thunder, when it was a significantly different film. It was still hilarious, but there were different approaches to the characters. And I, I remember um, Keanu Reeves was reading your part, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then you kept changing. And then he was great. He was amazing. He was too. so good. But then you yeah. realize actually. There's a much broader Doctor Strange love satire to be had about Hollywood in this that we could really go to town with. And then later on, I went to the other table read where Tom Cruise was there, and then you were playing you, and and so it, it was a it was two distinctly different films, and and both brilliant. But you're like, we can go bigger with this. Yeah, well, you know, Tom came up with the idea of that character that he played. He literally came up with that idea. Really. Yeah, because at, at, at one point I had talked to him about playing the role I played and he said, you know, well, you don't there's a, there's no studio executive in this movie. You're, you're making fun of all these other, you know, sort of oh. archetypes. And it changed the whole and this was like three or three or four months before we started shooting the movie. And it changed literally changed the entire plot. But it was such a good idea. And Justin oh. Throw you know, and I were like, oh, this is. And that that really sparked Justin, who went and wrote the first draft of all those Les Grossman scenes. Yes. And um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that that was also something that I think you talk about, like being open to uh, changes, being open to the process and really making choices when you think, okay, this is worth it. This is worth exploring and taking, you know, and maybe just walking away from something we've been wed to the whole time, because that idea of Tom playing that part 
not only did I think, oh, well, that would be so much fun to watch him be that guy, but it was also story-wise, it was an aspect of the story that we hadn't even explored. Like what's going on back in the States while these guys are out in the jungle. Yeah, there there was a whole thing he riffed at that table read that I, I thought was so great. But again, the movie was so top-heavy with great comedic bits that didn't make it into the movie where they're doing – it's a very early video conference call where the technology was still really janky, and he's trying to move the camera around. He's going, who is talking? Like he can't figure out who he's supposed to be pointing the camera at, and it made me laugh so hard because that is so what that generation did thought video conferencing was like it needs to be who is talking to me and it was so funny and awkward but again it shows you how dense you guys made the script that you could lose a bit like that because there were a million other great things in it yeah well i mean it's always good to have more stuff than you need yeah was reality bites like one of your first big directing was that one i remember auditioning for you for reality bites you did. I, huh? I did audition. I feel like we, I feel like I remember that. I'm not, I'm, I don't, I'm not, I don't remember a lot of things. <laughs> I, I remember moments, but I know that we, I know we met back then. I, I auditioned for you and I specifically remember it because um, I remember exactly what I was wearing because I was wearing this like crocheted black top and it had like weight to it. And there was a, a moment in the script or something in the audition and I had to get up really fast, but like the shirt had its own and, it's and, the sh- own and I stood, it had its own inertia when I said like the shirt went up and I was like, oh my God, like my shirt. Anyway, like you flashed I just, everybody. I don't think I it, like necessarily <laughs> flashed as much as it sort of like almost did. And then I was sort of mortified. And anyway, but yeah, that I was, don't remember <laughs> that. <laughs> Okay. Well, I do. <laughs> but that was a movie that you you really had to raise money to make it. You put stuff on the line to get that done, right? That was no, I mean, no, Reality Bites was I was hired to, to direct Reality Bites. Helen Childress wrote it. Oh. and Danny DeVito and Michael Shamberg and Stacey Scher were the producers. Mm-hmm. And they were and and they had this idea. And I I came in and met Helen, who was writing about her life. And Helen and I connected and we started to sort of work on the script and develop it. And for me, I was so, I felt so outside of the experience that, you know, that her character, Lelena was having, because I grew up sort of, you know, New York, Upper West Side. Yeah, and I felt yeah. like, oh, I'm like this guy, the MTV guy, uh, or the In Your Face TV guy. Uh-huh. And that's the character that I understand. Uh, also having, you know, worked at MTV too. And just oh, that- so, so I kind of like came at it from that point of view. I said, well, if I could play that guy, we could, and we started to improvise together, Helen and I, and she actually just recently sent me some um, uh, tapes of us improvising back in like 19, whatever, <laughs> 92 or three scenes between Michael and Lelena. It was so much fun to listen to after all those years, but she uh, she was great because she was like really, again, in that process of like being open to me coming in and saying, well, I, I kind of like want to come at it from this point of view, which I thought was important because the Lelena and Troy and Michael, you know, sort of, um, you know, love triangle. Yes. I felt it was, I felt it was important that the character that wasn't Ethan Hawke, at least, you know, was something that she should consider, you know? Well, and like we worked at that in the script to try to make it like, okay, this actually should be a decision, even though she's going to end up with the cool guy. Yeah. You really, for a while, you really leaned into um, the, what, what like Albert Brooks did, which is, I'm if there's something that I see that's wrong or annoying in society, instead of playing the character who points it out, I'm going to embody what is bad about a certain thing. So you I, I was because I, I was working at MTV at the time working on the movie awards. I think that's where we started 
working together. Right. And my God, did you nail that? That that there's that certain MTV executive energy that makes other people around them tired because they are so driven and they have that horrible. Um, and I know this was a this is long a, a white whale of yours that Sammy Glick energy. That mm. oh yeah. boy, did you nail that? Where you're like, although out of nowhere in Reality Bites, when Ethan Hawke comes out on the street, and your character's been such a dick up to that point, but you totally nail the. Then what are you doing out here? What are you looking for out here? Like, yes, right. your character is this driven dick, but he also knows exactly what's going on. He wouldn't be in the position he's in if he couldn't read people. And it was this such a shocking moment where you're like, he just totally saw through Ethan Hawke's bullshit you know, cool, uh, Gen X pose. And just, yeah, I think, I think, the, I think the, the insecurity too is important that this guy also, you know, was, was confident in who he was and kind of living off of that. And kind of, that's what his, how like th that energy you talk about where you just kind of go, 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 go. And you're just going to keep on sort of like moving forward. And, and I don't, you know, even know what I'm saying, but I'm saying it because I believe that if I keep talking, it's going to make something happen. Yes. <laughs> right. Oh, but then there's also an insecurity too, that he wanted to be, you know, Troy, he wanted, and I, yes. I felt that was really important that, you know, cause like, you know, I want to be the cool Ethan Hawke guy with the hair and the, you know, and goatee or whatever. So, you know, that, that was important. Uh, I think in balancing, hopefully that you see like, Oh, these people are all, you know, real human beings who have, yes. you know, insecurities also. Oh, the frailty. I mean, your character in, in heavyweights, which I, I love Judd Apatow and that. Well, he movie. had a lot of insecurities. Well, oh yes. He'd had many insecurities, <laughs> but that was Tony Burgess. Oh my God. But that's one of those characters where you're like, it almost hurt the movie. Like, can we just follow this maniac? This is, this is like, I want to see what his daily life is. And I was happy that when you did dodgeball, Christian white is almost a mutant version of Tony. And we see his, Whole story up until the end credits when we came back for those reshoots where you've become morbidly obese. <laughs> yes, White, White Goodman. Here, I'm sorry, White Goodman, White Goodman. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but, that's right. But here's these, yeah, because these are very deep layered characters oh, God. and a lot of work put into the backstory <laughs> for both of them. No, um, I mean, first of all, the whole thing of heavyweights is just that, you know, first of all, Judd was making this movie, um, you know, it's like we were all in our twenties yeah. and, and, and Disney was handing over a movie to him. And you know, <laughs> I was like, this would be funny to have this like sadistic counselor, you know, never in a million years would this ever get close to no. Disney or Disney plus, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't even make anything streaming or no, you know, no, whatever a, a YouTube channel. I mean, it was just like, you know, we just saw oh, this will be funny. And they kind of let us go and do it. Oh. Um, but very politically incorrect. Oh and boy. Also, but you know, but also funny it, because you know, it, it's like if, if a crazy guy like that was in charge of a camp like this, that that's what would happen. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. But I, I think, um, you know, it was just a different time in terms of comedies where you could just go for it. Oh. And right. even uh, in Tropic Thunder with Robert Downey yeah. Jr.'s character, like, well, early on in, in the very early version of the script that the first time I read, it was a, it was an African-American actor 
That guy, Harry, what was his name? He's he's in everything. Very oh, Harry good. Lennox? Harry Lennox. Yeah, he... And yep. he's playing the Robert Downey Jr. part, but what he's playing is he's post-surgery or post-whatever he's done to himself, and when, he, when his character got really angry, then he would slip into the Australian accent, and you realize, oh, no, this is a white guy who's made himself look like Harry Lennox. It was a whole other level of weirdness, but again, you guys went, let's go even further with this. Which was yeah, amazing. And I, I mean, and obviously today it would be much more complicated yeah, to even get say, the movie off the ground yeah, if yeah, possible. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, but having Robert, you know, there either I thought there were two or three actors who really that, that were on the list that sort of ended after that who I thought could actually pull that off because the audience would understand what they were doing. Yes. And, you know, and where that character was coming, because it was purely making fun of actors who take themselves seriously. And uh, I mean, Downey was such a good actor, I felt, and and that that he could go there in a way that people, he you know, people would buy it because of his commitment to it. Yes. Yeah, it was incredible. I think we need to take another quick break, and we will be right back. I, I, now I have, like, every time you answer something, it, it, it I have, like, eight other questions because you, you've done so much. Okay, let's take a quick uh -huh. break, we'll be right, we'll be right back. back. Okay. okay. Hey, everybody, we're back with Ben Stiller. This is so exciting. Um, I want to go back now. We're gonna we're gonna loop around gonna like Tarantino a little let's, bit. Let's bring the room down a little bit. Because if you watch the Hustler of Money, that is much. It's 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 a lot like to your to the Ben Stiller show. That is the at last the nineteen forty eight show or the Goon show. That's the prototype for what your show would become. Very very specific. In fact, uh, the Hustler of Money is is a, almost a rough draft for a few good scouts. That sketch, which is even more. Absolutely nailing on the head the Oscar craving movie. I think you even call it from Oscar craving productions. Oscar craving Oscar productions. productions. <laughs> um, and, as, and again, as funny as it is, there are shots that the shot coming down of the flagpole at dawn that there's beautiful cinema in this, as goofy as they're being. They're nailing all of the filmic elements perfectly. So, like, how much did that? And, and again, talk about a dream cast, not just the cast. But then the writers. So you've got Odenkirk, Janine, uh, Andy Dick in front of the camera, behind the camera, writing Odenkirk, Janine, David Cross. It just it's ridiculous. Yeah, Dino Stamatopoulos. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jeff Kahn was writing on it. It was all, you know, for me, it was so much about like, okay, we're gonna do the parody of this movie, and it's gonna be, you know, Cape Fear, but it's any monster, but we're gonna make it look like Cape Fear, and. <laughs> I yeah, as a director, I was obsessed with that and 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 excited by that. Mm -hmm. I think uh, Odenkirk and and those guys were more like, oh, let's actually make it funny. And I was like, and and you know, they were worried about the. <laughs> I was into the writing too, but I was really more about okay, like you know, I, what is it going to look like? And to me, that was part of the humor. And I think we all that's why we all enjoyed working together. Yes, we, everybody sort of had their own area and that they got into and Manson I think was like the, for oh, me the, my god you know and that's a that's a pure Odenkirk sketch right and you know character but for me shooting that was so much fun to really get into like okay we're gonna make this look like Lassie the Andy Griffith show or whatever yes. and um you know but we were you know it was a six-month period of time and whatever it was 92 <laughs> and you know we we all were like you know just kind of doing it and then you know and then we were canceled but it was it was so much fun it took us a while to get it on the air yeah um but then and then when we finally got on the air we were we you know kind of were we were kind of like 
also Judd, you know, had never run a show. We didn't know what we were doing. Mm-hmm. It was he, he, but his instincts as a showrunner were there from the beginning in terms of the way he would battle with the studio and the yeah. network and really like demand, you know, no, you got to give us this or you have to give us that, or this is what makes it funny when they give us notes because what we were doing was so out there. Oh, and you know, especially he, again, it got back to, you would obsess on these things. Um, the whole, uh, 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 Scotty from Star Trek and the and, and the, the do it <laughs> character, the guy that is just so focused and Casey Kasem. Right. And I know that you told me the network was like, why would the, but who does do people know? But we do, and and our enthusiasm will come through. That's what's funny about the sketch. It like let us have this. It, it just yeah. I, just love I mean, that. we're trying to go off of what we were into, and yeah, you know, the the James Doohan uh, episode was just you know I was a huge Star Trek fan, and and he said yes, and so we we just said all right, let's just lean into the fact that I you know I'm a huge Star <laughs> Trek nerd. And it was no acting involved. I was as so excited to just bothering that poor guy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but uh, yeah, <laughs> and and also it's it's a it's the classic story, literally a classic timeline. They get this show on the air. This is if the, if the internet had existed the way it did now, Ben Stiller's show would still be on the air because the the fans of that show were cultists. Basically, we could we could recite lines B minus time traveler. Um, all I mean, right. just all the lines. Um, then Fox cancels it. Then it wins the Emmy for best writing. After it's been canceled, it wins the Emmy. Yeah, so like I think Freaks at the, and Geeks and all the good shows that get canceled and oh are still God. amazing. And I think there's a great. Isn't there a morning show interview with you guys after you've won the Emmy and you're clearly <laughs> drunk or a, a couple of you are boozed up and you're just like the network, like you're just ripping on. It, it's so glorious. It's such a great piece of film. <laughs> I think we were all just sort of, I don't know what was going on. I mean, even when I look at like the speech and they got up yeah. there and like sort of like saying like, hey, Fox, you missed something. <laughs> I don't, I don't so know. Like defiant. we were just didn't know what, what, yeah, what was going on. Except, yeah, and we were all so surprised. And I also like at that point, you know, who that's like, who knows? Like that's the only Emmy I ever won. I was like, this is, that was amazing. You know, at that time, but you're young and you're just like, okay, that was great. You know, what, what are we going to do now? Yeah. Uh, you know, and and so I, but I think we did appreciate it. Like that's the thing, we did appreciate it in the moment uh, because it was so unexpected. Right. And even when we got canceled, we weren't upset. Um, you know, I mean, we were disappointed, but it was right. sort of like, all right, we had this amazing shot, and everybody kind of just, you know, went, went on to the next thing. What, what's so interesting to me is it seems, especially with with Odenkirk and everyone, but you especially, like you start with such great comedic material and work and directing and acting and then all these amazing comedy people turn out the most beautiful sensitive incredible performances uh, and and move into this dramatic area that's so deep and I guess Walter Mitty starts that really deep descent into major drama but like Escape from Janamora and Severance oh and they're God. so incredibly dramatic incredibly cinematic all of them are incredibly cinematic. Um, well, but Walt, Walter Mitty is just Walter Mitty. I hate to use the word painterly because that sounds so pretentious, but there are painterly shots in that film that you must. I mean, it was clear that when you were when we were in Iceland, but even in the way you shoot Manhattan, it looks like a heightened, more gorgeous Manhattan, even though it's yeah. modern day Manhattan. I don't know how you got the angles that you did. You, you're clearly looking at the city from in a different way than other people are. 
but you know, yeah. I, and th- yeah, man. I mean, first of all, I love that we're in that movie together yeah. and I love our scenes together <laughs> and I love you in that movie seriously, because you exude so much. There's such an amazing warmth that you exude. I just, I'm just so happy that we did that together. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, yeah, there was like this, uh, uh, an image in my head of what this thing was that Steve Conrad had written, who's just an amazing writer mm-hmm. and Steve, you know, ha- figured out this tone for it, but there's this heightened tone. And, you know, a lot of that is just like looking for me was looking at movies that I loved about New York. And, you know, I thought about Tootsie a lot, oh. which I think is one of the great, one of the great New York movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, yeah, stylistically trying to create something you know, that we had an opportunity to do because it was a studio movie on, you know, on a scale and tried, try to, you know, trying to make something that was sort of like, I guess, between two different worlds in a way, you know, that movie. And then when you go to Iceland, it's just so stunningly beautiful. Good Lord. Um, and I think what Steve was writing about was, you know, life experience and how life experiences, you know, going out and doing something can change your state of mind, can change, you know, how you feel. And, and I think that's what he was going for in writing. It was trying to, you know, uh, shoot for uh, amazing images. So that, that was sort of the goal, I think. And it always comes out of the writing. And then when you get to a movie, like uh, a show like severance, clearly it must be the, the collaboration between the art direction and the costumes and the director, you guys have su- it's the most the coordination between those beautiful. departments must have been amazing. I mean, did you guys yeah. meet together? How did that? I've just never well, seen for, everything know, well, yeah, yeah. like that. Thanks, man. I mean, first of all, Sarah Edwards, who did Walter Mitty, mm-hmm. did our costumes. On oh, Severance. really? And yeah, yeah. And we hadn't worked together since. And I was really excited to come back with her. And you know, she has such an amazing eye for. Uh, uh, color and collaboration between departments is so important. I mean, you production can see design, it. costume, and our Especially and Jessica. Yeah, yeah, Jessica, our cinematographer. I mean, that I, I, you know, I think it's it's everybody kind of going for something and sort of you know heading towards something that you don't quite know what it's going to be, but you you know you talk about it and you look at at different images and look at different movies and shows and things but ultimately then you kind of what what was in the writing what Dan Erickson wrote was so original Jesus so original and I thought and yet it reminded me of so many things that I loved so it was sort of like trying to figure out a way to allow those ingredients to be a part of it and then let it be its own thing too yeah the the letting go aspect of it I just I'm wondering that line near the end of Walter Mitty where Sean Penn is saying, sometimes I don't take the picture. Sometimes I allow the moment to be just for me or just for the world. Was that always in the script or was that something that, you, that felt like it came very much from the heart from you. There are those yeah. moments. No, where- that's that's pure Steve Conrad. Wow. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, Steve, you know, he really figured out, I think in that story, that w- what it was about in terms of finding uh, your life uh, finding finding experience in the moment of your life, you know, really being present. And I mean, I think about that line and I think, oh, God, I don't know, because like, for me, I'm just, I want to capture everything, right. try to, rem- you know, my memory, I don't try, like we're talking about memory. It's like, I want to have that moment picture of it because I want to be able to go back and re-experience that's, it. That's Meredith takes right? pictures of everything. She yeah. wants it yeah. all recorded. Well, everything. I mean, even yeah. with Alice, I always am taking her pictures like, mom, stop. I'm like, this is from, I want this. Yeah. I want to keep this. This is not about you. Let me have this moment. I want to just hold on to it because I don't know if I'm going to remember this. I, yeah. this, you look at my phone and there's 50,000 pictures of her. 
Like yeah. it's insane. But I yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm want, totally with yeah. you on that. I want to yeah. have it. I want to keep it forever. And when she yeah, when she's 20, you're gonna look back. And go, yeah. Oh my goodness, Thank look God at that. that. Yeah. yeah. And I say that to her too. I'm like, I, when you're older, you're gonna love these pictures. Like anytime she and Patton are cute together, I'm like. Capture, capture, capture. But it's true. It's true. Like my kids love looking at pictures of themselves. Yeah. When they were I mean, it's, you know, and we go back, you go back that time. So I, so that character is a very evolved character, but, the, and the message of, okay, you know, just enjoy the moment, be there. That's, you know, that, right. of course, you know, but um, for me, the image is actually about movies. That makes me think about movies because I, I think about this a lot lately too. Movies are, do capture, you know, we're lucky enough to be in movies and to do things where you capture this, seen this like you know this moment it, yes. it's recreated or whatever but like it exists there and you go back and you can watch it forever uh you know i'm fascinated with that watching old movies i can just you know watching a scene with jimmy stewart or watch you oh. know because i'm thinking like what was that like on the set what was going on in that day yes but look what they created in that moment and it's here and it's so alive and it's and it's you know you can always go back to it that's why i think people have this connection with movies that that they love and, and TV shows, it's like you know, there's a really deep emotional connection that you have with this stuff. Well, especially now, and and, and I'm going to get to your transition from film to TV, um, which which it's not just you. So many great directors have realized that TV right now is Hollywood in the early '70s. It is it is the best time to be making stuff for TV. But I used to do a lot of punch up for the Farrelly Brothers. I punched up. Um, you know me, myself, and Irene, and Shallow Hal, and 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 um, and um, the uh, the Heartbreak Kid. Uh, we yes. did all that, right. and I remember them. We were on a break one day, and they were talking about. And this gets into how you, I think, a lot. What you're talking about directing and letting go. They're like, they they just out of nowhere they started. And I'm not trying to embarrass you, but they really started singing your praises and said that movie, as good as Kingpin was for us. Um, Something about Mary was the first movie where we really worked with an actor who was like, what he was. Ben was game for anything to the point where we couldn't believe what he was saying yes to because our instincts are so whack, and a lot of actors are like, "Yeah, excuse me, I'm not doing that." And you, no, fuck you. And you were like, "Sure, I'll get my nuts caught in the. You know, we're gonna show the nuts. Yeah, sure." And they were like, "Wow, he's gonna." And so was gonna do his okay. And I didn't think they. Uh, first of all, I didn't think they were gonna show the nuts because. <laughs> They had they had that oversized prop on the set yep. when we were shooting that, which was of the nuts. Yep, it was like an oversized. It was like three times, or no, like maybe like five times lifetime life size, right? Yeah, like huge. It was so weird. Oh um, and I would I see it on the set. I'm like, you're not gonna use that. You're not gonna use yeah. that. And they're like, yeah, no, no, we're gonna do, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. <laughs> but the, but that idea of well, let's try it. Let's just try it, and then we'll see if it works later. That kind of attitude, I think. I think a lot of directors need that, and a lot of them don't. I think a lot of them get done directing the film before they direct the film, and then they're yeah. so closed off to new ideas on the set. And so hearing them say that about you, like they would be doing a scene and they would get what they wanted, but then go, what if we tried this? And you go, yeah, what if we, let's see what happens. And so that kind of attitude, did you keep that when you went into directing, like kind of kept that mindset? Yeah, I mean, my memory of, of, of doing that movie was that I actually was sort of like questioning them a lot of the time. Wow, that's not what they to said what to they me. Were they were, they could not believe no. how happy they were with you. Well, no, but I, because they had such a different way of working and I was like kind of coming at it more from like, well, you know, like 
this character, would he do that? You know, like, well, yeah, but when the dog like runs and, you know, like jumps in on you, you know, like we just want to make sure it looks like it's really attacking. I'm okay. But why am I like, why does the dog not like me? You know, like, <laughs> it was, like I was getting into that. Stuff. Yeah. And I think that we had a back and forth in that way that was ended up helping both of us because, you know, I would ask them questions they wouldn't think about. And they, and then they would say, well, we just think this is going to be funny. And I'd be like, okay, well, let's give it a try. And I was constantly trying to sort of navigate with that with them. But when I read that script, I was like, this is hilarious. This movie is so funny. Oh, yeah. So, I, you know, I, I got that there's a certain commitment level that you have to have. And you really appreciate that as, a, as an actor when you're, I mean, as a director, when you're working with actors who are willing to be game. Yeah. And so I tried to be aware of that working with them. It's like, okay, you know, I'm, and that's what directing is. It's subjective. So they're going to do it differently than I would do it. Um, and so I, I want to give them the best chance of this thing working for them in terms of how they see it. I think that's part of just everybody wanting to the movie to be good then. And, you know, and there's that thing where you just know, okay, if it doesn't work, you know, they will cut it out. Yeah. I I wasn't in on the edit at all of that movie, but I, you know, you have to trust that these guys are going to, you know, go with what works for them. I, I saw it in the theater and for all the massive laughs in that movie, and there are huge laughs in that we can, you know, the hair gel scene and the pork and bean scene. But one of the biggest laughs comes after at the end of the movie, when you, do the right thing and go, none of us deserve Mary. We're all scumbags here. We've all been lying and being horrible, and you let her go. And then they cut to you walking down the street away from her, and you are full-on sobbing, not comedic, like drama, Oscar clip sobbing. And because you took it so seriously, it got such a huge laugh because the movie's been so goddamn absurd. And then they cut to the most dramatic scene, which made it even funnier that you absolutely committed to having this nervous breakdown on camera. Again, that's you and the Fairly Brothers going, oh, no, if you're going to cry, actually cry here. It's insane. Oh, my God. You're so talented, Ben. It's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. that well, that was just from that was just life experience too. Because yeah. it was like, all right, in this in this situation, which I've been in, uh-huh. this is what this is how I felt, and I think they totally, you know, I just I don't remember exactly shooting that scene. I, I oh. kind of remember though that that you know that Peter being really supportive, like, yeah, yeah, you should just really go for it. Oh, it's an and, ugly cry. It yeah, is it's not. Ugly cry. Oh it's my ugly god! Cry. It is. <laughs> It's it's immediately douche chilling, and because it's so uncomfortable, everyone exploded laughing because they're like, "Wow, this movie has has grinded every gear that it possibly can on the emotional spectrum. It did not hold back." I just oh, that made me so happy, so happy. Are you feeling like you have equal love for both acting and directing right now? Or are you focusing more on feeling like I want to just focus on directing, or is it, it's all open for you? Like whatever you. That's a good question. I, I, I think, um, you know, I haven't been acting for a while. I've gone for like four or five years now without really acting. And I, I never thought I'd take that long off. And I appreciate acting now, having not done it for a long time. I'm like, oh, I'd like to get back to doing that because it's fun. And when you talk about doing scenes like that, I'm like, oh, that was really fun to do. But <laughs> I love, I love directing. And oh, yeah. I You're really, so on Dana Mora, I... Oh, finally got to take myself out of the picture because I, for so long, I'd always in my head, yeah, I love, I I direct and I act, but you know, I always saw myself as a director, but I always somehow ended up in the movies I was directing, (laughs) um, except for Cable Guy. And so this 
on Dana Moore, the first day of shooting, I was like, this is so great. This is so great. I, because I don't have to get in front of the camera. I can do one thing. Yeah. I can just fully invest in this. And the more I've done that, the more I've enjoyed it. So I would, I, I really feel like I'm trying to figure my way back into acting and what, what that's going to be. Um, but, uh, for right now directing, you know, it's just totally, uh, take, takes everything for, you know, in terms of just creatively, it's so much fun to just totally invest in something. And, and you can really get into so many different areas of trying to figure out how do you make this thing be what you want it to be. Well, you know? well your good. directing is truly phenomenal. Truly. Like yeah. you've oh, become oh. one of my very favorite directors of all time. Really. Well, you guys are super, I mean, I mean you're like, yeah, I mean, you guys are. I'm not going to say you're film snobs, but you're very, very we, choosy. We have aren't good, you? we have good taste in directors, yes, and since I think you're taste. my favorite now, I think you should be really happy about that. Right. We're going to take you. a quick break and come back and do. I just want to do a little bit of Pat. I won't go too deep into Severance. I, there's, I have some okay. questions. We're not going to ruin anything. We'll be right back. <laughs> All right. Hey, we're back. Uh, ben Stiller, writer, director, extraordinaire, everything. Um, they, uh, and a good man. We, we didn't even bring up Zoolander, which is another one of those. Uh, you made one of the silliest comedies that weirdly um, predicted where the world was going to end up going in a weird way in terms of celebrity, <laughs> in terms of you know what people would become obsessed with. I mean, yes. it's, it's, yeah, it I is so. so weird. It 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 predicts the Kardashians. It predicts um, was Zoolander before the Kardashians? I th- kind of was. Yeah, kind of was. was. And it really yeah. predicts the elevating of gorgeous stupidity. But by the way, yeah. good-hearted gorgeous stupidity. But someone who is just proud to not have a friggin' thought in their head. And that dance, dance, Derek. You're a monkey. <laughs> You're a monkey, Derek. Dance. <laughs> I'm his photographer in one of the scenes, yelling at him. Make him dress up like a monkey. Um, and Derek just does what you say. Yeah. He just does it. He really does. <laughs> he's well, like and kind of in pain. Like, oh, well, that's it. part of a great talk about go with things in that sequence where David Duchovny is explaining why male models are assa- the perfect assassin. And again, the film styles. When they showed Dealey Plaza, it's that wonderful Sears model with that kind of 60s film. And then the, you know, right. uh, and then at the end, he explains the whole thing and then apparently you riffed like but why male models and then there's that weird and you use it he goes are you because i just explained like he just didn't know what to do and it's it's one of the i think biggest- it was i think it was a mistake i think i i, I said the same line oh. twice because i didn't realize he just i guess i wasn't listening in the scene as an actor probably it, it, then- it is one of the biggest laughs in the movie of there's a weird like literally they sit in the silence for like three seconds and he's like are you serious? Because I just explained. <laughs> That's like the incredible Duchovny deadpan. Yeah, just no reaction. Um, <laughs> and then also, I was—I remember being in a table read for Civil War: Land and Decline, um, mm. which I think you were going to direct it, or what was that? Because that was a really yeah. interesting table read of another George Saunders. I love his writing, but I, I, he just seems like he'd be impossible to adapt. Well, it's, I think it's difficult to adapt his uh, writing because it's so unique and it's, you know, his writing style is so um, specific. Yeah. He's an amazing writer oh. and and his ideas are so, I mean, in terms of like ideas of where we're going as a culture and the way that he <laughs> God, is able I hope, to. I hope he's wrong about everything. 
God, I hope he is absolutely wrong. But after I read Escape from Spider Island, I'm like, oh, no, Escape from Spider Head. Spider Head. I'm yeah, like, yeah. if he gets this one right, I'm done. I want off this planet. I think, by the way, they just did that one. I think somebody tried to do that one and it's coming out. Oh. Um, yeah. And, and you know, there have been a few attempts to to do his his writing in as films or television. And yeah, it's a very specific tone. He's an amazing writer and person mm -hmm. uh, in terms of just listening to, if you ever can like, you know, the uh, addresses that he gives to students, yeah. or you know, just, just talking to him, he's got such a great point of view on life and um, you know, and the writing process and the creative, the process of, you know, being creative. Yeah. Um, but we tried for a long time and, you know, talk about a guy who's willing, like this guy is, you know, MacArthur genius grant level, oh. you know, right. He's just an in incredible writer in the script writing process. He's always willing uh, when we've worked on civil Warland to go back in and try something new and reinvent. And, you know, he just has no ego about any of it because he's looking and, you know, he looked at it working on that script as, okay, this is an exercise in me, you know, kind of learning how to write a script in this form. Cause I haven't done this form. And he, yeah. He's incredible. The, the, in, in the original table read, your character dies and then addresses the camera after he's dead and basically challenges the audience. Like, what are you, I'm dead. What are you doing with it? It is, it was one of the most brutal endings to a comedy. I mean, it's ostensibly a comedy and you leave you. It's like now go out and question your life. Yeah. I was, I think that's, that's what they said at the studio when we tried to get it made. And that's why it never got made. <laughs> We're not doing you actually that. Are saying exactly what. Have, the guy have, said you, no, so. have you written a book on, I feel like I need a book from you. I feel like I need no. a book, a memoir, Janine, but like slash you and wrote a wrote a parody book called. We wrote a parody. <laughs> feel this. Feel book. this book. <laughs> right. <laughs> like one of those self help Deepak Chopra kind of things. Yeah. But like yeah. Stephen, I don't know. Stephen yeah, I don't King have a desire his, to write no? a book right now. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, 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 I like don't. I'm, I'm happy to the world. Well, I'm. Thank you. I, I, I don't <laughs> to know. Aspiring I, I'm filmmakers. happy. Yeah, maybe something, maybe something about that or the process of making stuff. Yeah, I think because, because it's good to hear, like the way you write the, the Jaws log or something like that. Yeah. Hearing somebody talk about the process yes. can be really helpful. Or, um, or like, and uh, yeah, but but on the George Saunders front, I mean, we're actually trying to do Civil Warland and Bad Decline after almost thirty years of trying to make God. that uh, at uh, at HBO Max. We are in development with it as a claymation. Series. What? Amazing. Yes. Are you <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, then here, here, this is my next question, which is because Meredith was wondering, you know, do you miss acting? You're clearly in directing, but not only are you clearly full steam ahead directing, are you? Do you are you thinking of ever doing like a feature film again? Because you're you are thriving in this new landscape of TV where the best work is being done. I mean, it's like, I forgot who said it, but it, everyone talking about, well, the movie theater receipts are going down. That's because movies aren't doing what shows like Fargo and Severance and, um, and Watchmen and it, like and those shows are doing. You can get that at home now. Well, you get to delve more and yes. it's longer. It's a film that you get to really get more detailed in. No one's in a hurry. You really get to live with these characters. So are you in any hurry to get back to making stuff for, or, or like, do you want to play in this TV playground now? Or perhaps the script now? dictates what yeah. the medium yeah. will be. I'm, I really want to make a movie, for mm -hmm. sure. And I think it's such a complicated time right now for movies, because what you're talking about is true. 
but I'm not sure what, like what the, what's the chicken or the egg in terms of what people want out there. I think it's what it's accepted right now as a feature in terms of what the studios will make. Mm -hmm. They feel like, and the pandemic has, has made it even more complicated, Yeah, but you know, the idea of what is going to draw people out from in front of their screens to go out to a movie now is, you know, it's, it's, a big question mark mm -hmm. and you're just seeing these bigger movies that are being considered as features. Um, it's just the, you know, the reality that people are not willing to put something like if I could have made escape at Danimore as a feature, I would have. Cause wow, I really, I, I, yes. Cause I love movies. Now it probably would have been a seven hour feature. Yeah, but, I, that's, I can't imagine eight scenes you could lose. But I, but for me, the experience of why I was always thinking about that and I think about severance the same way I'm imagining myself watching it in a movie theater that I, I honestly am because that's, that's the experience that I love the most. Yeah. But I, um, I got to tell you severance. I think one of the things that made severance even more effective and creepy is that you, not only would you watch it week to week, but after you would watch it, uh, you would go back to your office job or you would go back to daily life and you would wonder what? how yes. separated or connected am I like even without the science fiction trappings to it. You, I started thinking, how often in my daily life do I shut myself off? Like, I just got to do this crap, that, and then I'll do my creative stuff later. Like, this isn't my real life yeah, right now. And it's about how present are you. I, again, I, I cannot get over what a brilliant show Severance is. And well, the exciting thing is, with, with, is being able to reach a lot of people through streaming. Yes. And, you know, and I think... The other thing about Severance, the format of a series that's an open-ended series, and looking at that now as we're getting into season two, the story continuing, trying to figure out how to build off of that and what to delve into, that is something I've really never done before. So I'm really enjoying that part of it. Wow. But just cinematically, I'm always just thinking about stuff like as movies. Well, it is cinematic, but, but, but it is it cinematic. Is so it's like a movie. Cinematic. You watch I mean, it, it feel it doesn't feel like a TV show. It feels like the most gorgeous right. film movie. Yeah. Well, that that thank you. I'm glad you feel that way because I that's what I want it to be, and that's what we all want it to be when we're making it. So that's what I imagine when we're and it's gonna be on a TV screen, it's gonna be on a iPad or yeah. phone, whatever. Mm -hmm. You just you're just imagining it in the way that you see it. And I do feel grateful that the opportunities are there to do this kind of work right now in television. Yeah. I, sure. I, I rewatched the final episode of Severance when I was on the road on God, my iPad. The best, the best season finale I've ever. But even on, <laughs> on, on an iPad, it's even creepier. It actually adds a level of creepiness if you're sitting watching it on your iPad. Like, is this an amusement that was uh, designated okay for me to watch by my superior? Like, it just, there's so much sinisterness to this show, oh. and and again, just like how you are making these evolutionary leaps every time you direct, it's um, the fact that um, Patty Arquette, who you who is in Escape at Danamora, and she's now she's the greatest the, the, actress the, the, of the, our time. The she next is level, really the, the next, next she's level the that next Meryl Streep right now. She look, she was always great, but you, I mean, she's also done incredible leaps in terms of the work she's doing. Like, how did you guys meet for Danamora? And obviously, you must have had her in mind for Severance. Immediately. Yeah, I mean, Dana Mora, it was she was the idea, I think, that uh, Michael Tolkien and Brett Johnson had talked about who wrote who wrote Dana Mora yeah. that from when I got brought on. I and love Michael just Tolkin, like, by the way. Love him. Oh, yeah. God, is he yeah. good. He's, and he wrote The Player, and he's just, yeah. Have you he read his novel? He has a novel called N3. 
You just just go read. I it. haven't read it. it yeah. Oh god, it's <laughs> classic Tolkien. It will just creep the crap out of you, and it's so well yeah. written. Anyway, sorry, didn't yeah. mean to do that little. Side no, he, yeah. So the, those guys that were, you know, Patty Arquette was the the you know the idea, and I was like, well, that would be, yeah, that'd be great. I feel like you know sometimes if there's a good idea. You're, and you just you just recognize it's a good idea, you know. And our, so and our friend like Eric that. Lang plays her husband. Oh my god! Okay, he, Eric. if Listen. anyone has transformed his physical appearance I, more, I told him we know Eric. We go to dinner with him. I love Eric. Um, he was amazing in a movie, uh, a series called Unbelievable, as the cop. Yeah. And so and I loved him in that. So then we're watching Escape of Tanamora, and when he first came on the screen, I was like, you know, I think he might be going a little too far with this. I th- and in my mind, I'm like, <laughs> I think he's got he's he's puffed up because he got so much attention from Unbelievable. Now he's doing this method bullshit. This is this is unnecessary. And then you go and look at the and real then guy. Then when they show the real guy, I'm like, like, holy shit! Oh my god! He got him perfectly. Like, that was and and again that. Final shot of him. I'm like, he framed him like Bigfoot in the Gimlin Patterson film. You literally recreated. Yes, you did the Bigfoot, he, and you freeze framed in the same motion. That, that, that made a, me laugh so hard. Did you do that? No, it wasn't. No, it was <laughs> so funny because I didn't do that. I feel like he did that. I, oh. I filmed the shot, and then I saw it, and I was like, "Oh man, he's doing Bigfoot." <laughs> he's doing Bigfoot. What a character! And then it's like, "Well, we got to do a freeze frame." <laughs> you freeze frame. It's the same classic freeze frame from the film, which I'm like, "How would they do?" But again, yeah, when we when we watched when we watched the final when they showed the actual people, I'm like, "Oh yeah, he is amazing." Yeah. I did not. I mean, but he went so far with it. It's incredible. No, but he he sent in a, a reading, a self tape, and it was so accurate um, to this person, and I really felt like, "Wow, this guy's really committed." And he, he had a subtlety about it too. That was, you know, I think that last scene with him and Patricia when he goes to visit her, you know, oh. you just see this guy's humanity too. So, you know, that's great actors can do that where they can be big and small mm-hmm. at the same time. And well, you um, find and, and Patty and and Patty, by the way, on for Severance was just, you know, I, I that thing of like going, okay, I think she would be great in this because she's an amazing actress. She could do anything, but. You know, this is something maybe I haven't quite done before. She hasn't quite done before. And having that little degree of uncertainty of like pushing for something else and saying, I want to try this because I could imagine what it could be, but I haven't quite done it is sometimes a good place to go to because you're pushing yourself out there and you're taking some chances. And and I really didn't know on Severance the whole time. I was excited making it. I was excited to to see it because I re- it was something I really wanted to see. Yeah. But as we were making it really up through the end, I didn't know if it was going to work for a, a general audience because because really? it was one of those things where we just were so in it and we we're like, you're committed to a certain thing that you're creating and then you just hope people are going to connect with it. And but they do I you know, and it's know. spectacular yeah. and I'm so impressed with your career and the things you've been doing recently and you're just beyond talented but beyond that like a wonderful person and a mensch and lovely and thanks Mary. i'm so happy that you um can i do every interview with you guys yeah. I, I we just do every interview for everything um, but it's true and and we're both really proud of you and think you're great and love you and really happy i love you guys too to do the podcast well really really quickly before we let you go so you're clearly you're working on season two of severance now yeah, yeah. I just love how in the final um, episode, and if I'm not mistaken, I don't think John Turturro speaks in the finale. That's, I don't yeah, think he right. ever speaks, which gets back to the, but you know everything he's thinking. It's the Benicio Del Toro thing again. You know how to, it's amazing. It's, I mean, I think chapter one in my, on directing book would be hire 
great actors. Yes, yeah, yeah that, well. that saves Seriously, you a lot of you know, that's it. I, yeah. it's like, you know, yeah, he, he invests so much. He knew what that was. And, you know, you can read that in his face. And um, that wasn't easy stuff to do for no. an actor to have to like go through a trunk of stuff and have to react to each different thing. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm working on that, working on, on, on developing that uh, with the whole team, with Dan Erickson and everybody. And, uh, you know, working on trying to uh, uh, make a movie at some point. But, you know, that that that's sort of a process, too. And is is what makes Sammy run always going to be uh, your white whale on the horizon or will that <laughs> ever be pulled in? Do you think? I would like to pull it in. It's an amazing novel. But yeah. you know, it's there's been a lot of. There are a lot of issues that have faced that 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 piece over the years, starting from when Bud wrote it and was sort of exiled out of Hollywood <laughs> because of who he was basically writing it about. The guy knew he's like, oh, thanks, dude, and that yeah, kind of ruined him for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, you know his father was running Paramount, like he was, you know, he sort of bit the hand that fed him, and I, I think there's always been issues with it, you know, it's the Sammy Glick character, yeah. you know, and telling that story of a guy who's willing to do anything. And um, he's a Jewish character. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a, as a Jewish person, I'm aware of that too. And, you know, you want, but it's like a story that is beyond that. And I feel like it's worth, it's worth telling, and especially as it relates to the world we're in, the, you know, yeah. post Trump and post all of yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah. For, yeah, hopefully someday. Again, we have decades of stuff ahead from this guy. I can't believe I I feel like Ebert. Knock when on he, wood. Well, I feel like Ebert when he like saw what Scorsese was doing, realized, oh my god, I have so much more stuff to watch from this guy. It's very exciting. I'm just saying oh, that as, thanks, a, as an man. annoying film fan, it's very exciting. Um, well, I hope we can work together some more. Oh please, again, yeah. anything. Yeah. I I want to have a musical dance experience. Come on, man. <laughs> yes. Please. <laughs> I want to see that dance. Um, well, thank you for being yes. on the show. We adore you, and uh, this was awesome. You are fiftieth fiftieth podcast fiftieth guest, per- not fiftieth not guest. Oh, fiftieth episode He's of the like podcast. Like the fourth guest. Yes, <laughs> right. we haven't had a lot of guests. Well, I am honored to be on your fiftieth yes. episode. Yes, we're, we're happy to have you. All right, um, all right everybody. We will. Um, Talk to you guys next yeah. uh, Tuesday. Yeah. Tune next in. week, we have the second key grip from Glitter. So we'll be talking <laughs> to him about a lot of his work. Uh, we are off and running with guests now. So, Ben, thanks for We could not have gotten him if you I've hadn't set, done this. So thank I've you. Set the bar. Oh, I've dude, bar. thank you All so right. much, man. All right, see y'all later. See ya. Bye. This podcast is a production of Meredith Salinger and Patton Oswalt. In association with Starburns Audio. Executive producers are Cliff Dorfman and Jason Smith. And if you have questions for us, send them to... Hey, did you get my text? At gmail.com. And don't forget, subscribe to this podcast. It's free and it helps us get to keep making the show. Starburns Audio. A podcast. A podcast network.